Bearing Witness, part of the Racial Reckoning Project, is a reflective dive into the events unfolding in this season of racial upheaval and, we hope, change. I'm Reverend Anthony Galloway. And I'm independent journalist Georgia Ford. So we've just come through our first election since we began to do this check-in work here on Bearing Witness. Um, And uh, for many folks, it was a test. It was a test to see what progress we can make legislatively, given all of the events that have happened, both on the street uh, with George Floyd, but also for those of us who have been wondering about that same question for a long time. As a classmate of Philando Castile's, one of the things that I had been hoping for since um, my classmate was gunned down six blocks from my house um, by an officer who was in a training with me not more than a couple months before that. So this idea about how we're all connected and can make some decisions about things get better, I'm not quite sure where my heart is um, seeing the results that have come out. Not necessarily because of any specific decision, but more so that I, the groundswell that I saw when everything went down and as we were in the streets and as we were hoping together just for a verdict to say that our system can work for us, at least in some small way, I'm now wondering about where is the energy that was for really thinking about doing something very differently. And so that's where my head is at, Ms. Georgia, as we look at the results from this week and, and some of the other uh, developments, you've had your pulse on the ground as always, so we want to check in with you. What have you kept your pulse on this week as we continue to move forward towards uh, with our arc of justice? Anthony, I think this election reiterated just how important unity is. When you think about the fact that you have a mayor in Minneapolis who was elected not necessarily because 50% of the people voted for him, it's because 50% of the people were not united in who else they would prefer to have in that seat. And I think the same thing um, is is true about some of the other uh, hot seats uh, that were open. Um, and so the, the thing that is coming up for me in this moment, Anthony, is the importance of unity because our community, even on the issue of police accountability, as, as you said, and police reform, um, it, we knew it was important. The community was united in wanting change, but not necessarily united in what that change looks like. And so uh, what else is true that we're realizing is that change takes time. It's it's not a quick process. It's not something that happens uh, overnight. And the folks who I know who voted no, it's not necessarily that they were saying they don't want change. It's saying that they want a more concrete plan of what that change looks like. And so I think that our community is, is still united on that need for change. But now we have to do some serious reevaluating on what that change looks like and, and how how do we bring it to fruition? You know, uh, I, I keep juxtaposing that feeling of being in George Floyd Square with the feeling now and asking the questions around, you know, asking myself the questions around, you know, you know, what did I hope for? Um, I was speaking with a group representing uh, Racial Reckoning Project this morning of international um, uh, leaders who were looking at issues around reform and change, particularly around peace and reconciliation and several other things in, from various countries. And they had very interesting questions about 
what progress we've seen. And when we kind of recapped where we are and what some of the decisions have made, um, there was a very strong sense. Um, I actually watched some of the, the, the squares on the Zoom meeting. Um, some folks kind of slump a little bit uh, because they had hoped that we were going to be bringing them some concrete things that they could take on and piggyback. And instead, we actually ended up in much more of an even exchange where they were saying, well, here's what we're doing. <laughs> here's what we're working on. And so it became a, a a conversation about solidarity rather than a conversation about seeing it work somewhere and seeing how we can marshal and, and bank on that energy. And so it was really interesting as we talked about that. But then we also had to take account of some things that have happened, right? So we know um, about the attention towards um, what was was trying to be voted for in Minneapolis, you know, get underway in St. Paul, at least in some incremental ways towards moving towards non, non-police responses to, to, to issues and situations where they got those responders that are, 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 are getting ready to implement um, if they haven't already started. Um, and we, and at least we have seen some uh, reforms and rules of engagement, although of course, as you said, it's going to take a while because even after the rules of engagement had changed, we saw high-speed chases kill um, innocent people and young people, um, even though their po- uh, those policies for those department, those, those agencies um, said that that should never have happened. So, so we've got a lot of work to do, but there are some things to look back on and saying, we're having a different conversation than we were having prior um, to the murder of George Floyd. And, and the thing that got me, the thing that got me, and I keep bringing this up and, 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 it, and it's just going to keep coming up, um, is our continued need for black and brown bodies blood in order for the, for the consciousness of our country. It seems like we need, it seems like there's, there's this hunger for 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 that kind of to exact that kind of pain as kind of a blood sacrifice to the consciousness gods for us to move and and, and make change, um, and that keeps coming full circle. You know, we've we we lost our brother George Floyd, we lost Philando, we lost Jamar, we lost Breonna Taylor, we've lost all these folks, and so on the other side, folks are saying, well, at least that can move towards something different, and unfortunately. Um, for some of us, it seems like it's moving that direction. And for some folks, it's like, man, what else would it take? And so these are some of the questions that are coming up from folks in my congregations, in um, in circles, um, even in, in preparation for a funeral <laughs> that I'm going to officiate tomorrow. Quest- the questions around this came up just because we've been having these conversations with community members. So I'm I'm just curious what your p- what your beat is, what your pulse is as you begin to co- as you continue to connect with folks um, as an independent journalist and they reflect back on this moment. What's what what through line has has folks begin to crystallize for you? Well, I think you know the through line, Anthony, is that people aren't giving up. You know that they've identified change is is needed, um, and although many people have put their their eggs in the basket of the George Floyd Policing Act being passed on a federal level, and that didn't pass yet, right? Um, or some people thought that by voting yes and having a public safety department, that would be the change, and that didn't happen. So people, but people aren't giving up. We just saw an emergency rally that was held outside of the Brooklyn Center Police Department uh, by not only the family of Dante Wright, but also the family of Kobe Heisler, who uh, both spoke 
publicly about their concern of the Brooklyn Center Police Chief's comments about the bill that that was passed ultimately by the uh, city council after Dante Wright was killed. And so here you have a piece of legislation that has passed in the city of Brooklyn Center, um, but has not been implemented yet and now is being criticized by the chief of police. Um, And so now even in that situation where it felt like there had been some progress forward with getting this bill passed and all Also, uh, Kobe Heisler's mom, Amity, pointed out that this bill not only passed in Brooklyn Center, even though it hasn't been implemented yet, but it was also um, passed and implemented in Evanston, Illinois. All right. Uh, And so it is starting to be a blueprint for other cities who are looking for different measures of police reform and that pressure that so many people in our community were feeling that uh, the world's watching us to create this blueprint, right? And so that pressure is still there. And every time it seems like there's maybe a little bit of progress, um, I think that the folks who were advocating for vote, yes, they felt like there was progress. They got 21,000 signatures to be able to get that question on the ballot, right? And so every time we see a little bit of of progress, uh, then it, it kind of feels like there's either resistance or there is criticism on whether or not that is the type of change that we need. Uh, but people are not giving up, Anthony. People are continuing to be innovative. We've seen a number of community leaders run for office and actually be elected into I was just saying, including the first Eritrean uh, elected uh, elected person in the country um, in the school board race uh, for um, Holla Henderson in um, in St. Paul. So I I I'm I definitely seeing your point. Yeah, and and hoping to be able to utilize these positions and the power that comes along with them to bring forth change. Uh, I think what is crucial, what's critical, Anthony, is that regardless of what your ethnic or racial background is, when you're in these seats as a public servant, that you do the community outreach that's necessary. You connect with the community and you really find out what it is that they want. And I think that that was a huge misstep with this charter amendment um, proposal is that there was this outreach done and we knew going into it that the community was divided on voting yes and voting no. Um, And we also know that uh, research has shown that initial uh, campaign uh, to defund the police was not necessarily based on community outreach, that that was something that a small handful of people decided was a good thing to do, and they moved forward forward with it. And uh, now, you know, a lot of people have uh, criticized that campaign to contributing to the uh, increase in gun violence that we're seeing in North Minneapolis. And so, uh, you know, our community is not a monolith. You know, uh, there's a, a, a variety of lived experiences that our community has has had. There's a variety of social and economic issues that we are navigating within our community. And so I think that it's important uh, as we press forward in our pursuit for change, in our pursuit for justice and accountability, that we find a way to begin to unite on some of these solutions that we're seeking. 
You know, uh, it's it's not lost on me, and I know we have a powerful guest that I want to bring in shortly. You know, who who can speak a lot to the things that we've brought up. You know, this this all of this our conversation is also happening in in the backdrop of some major national um, um, events that are happening as well. The trial of Kyle Rittenhouse, who brought guns to protests in Kenosha and shot protesters. You know, many of us, if you were reading articles recently, would would have seen that the judge <laughs> was not going to allow. Um, and I think still, and I think that that stayed in place is not going to allow uh, prosecutors to refer. They were allowed to refer to them as rioters, as and all these other negative terms, setting the stage. Yeah, um, I, I think it was. I think the judge uh, declined um, the request to refer to them as victims. Right, right. Um, as victims. And so, and so they can be referred to as protesters. And these are the protesters who were killed. Right. The prosecutors wanted to refer to them as victims and the judge is not allowing that. And, and um, they just, they just re- uh, released a juror. Our producer was just saying they just released a juror. So we have yet another cultural battle for the, for the right to kill people <laughs> um, who are standing up. Um, uh, and, and this got, let's be clear, this is very different than January 6th, which we also lived through um, in this, in, you know, especially during all of our coverage over this past um these past several months we 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 see these markers of step forward step back in in other other places where where um this battle to get on this right side of history and the right side of lives continues to wage out and so um bearing witness and checking in with community becomes even more prescient um, as many other entities in different places, including some who are organizing in Wisconsin, to do something similar that we're doing, checking in with community and marking this moment so that when we look back at this, we'll actually have the voices of the folks who had lived through it, um, not just the pictures that many of us had got to grow up with for civil, you know, civil rights, but also we'll, we're encapsulating the voices of the people who were there to support Ruby and the people there who were there to throw rocks and show her an effigy. And I think this is going to be a lasting mark and signal for generations to come. I want to make bring our, our guests in uh, because I, I really want to get um, <laughs> Sharon Smith Akasanya's uh, uh, perspective on this because I've been seeing your face as we've been talking. And so I really want to bring you in um, and, and to introduce yourself to community and also so that we can check in with you, who I consider, you know, you're one of my community teachers. I, be, I, I look up and see you speak and see you write and, and, and you help help me make sense of the world. And so I'm so glad to have you on. Um, and so our guest today is Sharon Smith Akinsanya, and I would like her to introduce herself and tell you a little bit about how she comes to us and, and some of her work in community. Thank you, Anthony. Uh, yes, I'm Sharon Smith Akinsanya. I am the CEO of Ray McKenzie Group. Uh, we're an award-winning diversity, equity, and inclusion marketing firm. And we work with corporations all across this nation to help them build more authentic relationships with communities of color. We help them position and package and present their brands in the marketplace to attract, recruit, and retain top talent of color. I'm also the founder of a proprietary software that helps Black professionals and other professionals of color identify those employers who are serious about helping them land their dream careers, uh, get them promoted, uh, and advance throughout all levels of the corporation called peopleofcolorcareers.com. I, I, I want to say auntie just because that's how I that's how I, I see you in community. So so auntie Sharon. <laughs> yes. <laughs> as you heard um, Georgia and I talk, what are some of the things that were coming up for you um, as you were hearing us kind of talk about some of the things that are front and center in, in, in Georgia's uh, journalism uh, this week? 
Well, you know, the it, it, we were divided, you know, uh, as a community uh, in Minneapolis on the ballot issue, uh, number two. But we're not that far apart. See, right now it's time to do the work. You know, the yes side um, uh, uh, had some great, uh, um, you know, ideas about what they wanted to get done. The no side had the same ideas about what they wanted to get done. The difference was, is how, how are we going to get there? Mm. Right. You know, we all wanted safe communities. We all want the violence to stop in our neighborhoods. We all want the right size response to policing. So the only difference is what was going to be the plan? You know, how were we going to get there? And so now, you know, Minneapolis has spoken. They've said they want to keep the charter, you know, that that allows for police. Uh, they want to keep the position of police chief because Rondo's very popular, mm-hmm. uh, more popular than the city council, more yes. popular than the mayor. <laughs> for sure. You know, and he wasn't even on the ballot, right? You know, uh, on, on, the, on the ballot at all. So now is, uh, you know, the work has to be done. I think one of the things that Georgia brought up was very important. You know, you have to go into community and ask the question, you know, what is it is going to help you make your community safe? What is it that you want? And I think that there were some mistakes made. I I think that there were some, um, you know, outside forces that didn't ask the question, Mm. you know, and didn't build the relationships necessary to really get their point across on the yes side. Um, You know, on the no side, you know, I think that they did a better job of asking the question working with faith-based communities, you know, uh, working with the police chief, work all of the police chiefs. Uh, so I just think that they were just better manned as it pertains to relationships. And, you know, in the work that I do, it's all about building relationships and asking good questions. But, you know, but we're not that far apart still. It's time to unite. And we need to we need to just figure it out um, and, 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 uh, and hold the mayor who now has more power uh, help Rondo hold the city council. Everybody needs to be held accountable because see, the work begins now. Mm. Now is now what, right? Is, is the thing. How do we get the reform? How do we get the accountability? How do we get the transformation that we all seek? And so we're going to have to come together and make sure that that happens, whether it's social workers, mental health support, which we already have in the plan. It's just that it needs to be formalized, right? And we need to be transparent. We need to make sure everything is out in front of the public. You know, everybody needs to know step by step what's happening. But we already have, you know, mental health workers. But we also know from research that they don't want to go into a call without a police officer, making sure Mm -hmm. that the situation is safe. So both things can be true. Yeah, we just have to figure out a way to make it happen. Sharon, you're a Minneapolis resident as well as a Minneapolis business owner. Mm-hmm. And you talked a lot about how your elderly mother mm-hmm. influenced your decision to vote no. Can you expound on that some and yes. also share with us, how did you feel when you found out that the idea of having this public safety department had been rejected? Uh, where were you at? What were you feeling at that time? Well, you know, I was relieved um, uh, because I couldn't imagine a city without 
police, you know, with, I, I just was nervous that it would be the wild, wild west because there was no real plan of how we were going to do it. And I, in my experience, being a Minneapolis resident, I had never seen the city council do anything in 30 days. <laughs> uh, so I was very concerned about the time frame, you know, that they had given themselves to enact this new office of public safety. And so I've never seen anything happen that fast in the, in the city. And I've lived here for many, many years. Uh, and so my mom, who is 81, was was very concerned. She wants a safe downtown. She wants a safe city. She wants to be feel like if she, the way she puts it, you know, if I call 911, I want, if I have to, God forbid, I want Rondo to be able to send me somebody. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so so I, I was relieved. But uh, at the same time, I was ready to get to work to hold the mayor and Rondo and the city council accountable. You know, we have to make change. We cannot have a corrupt police department. We have to give right-sized responses to traffic stops. You know, so we all, we're all on the same side here. It's just how do we get there? You know, yes, maybe we do need a combination of peace officers and some police officers. Uh, and so we have to now get to work, you know, and, 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 and help the community, help Rondo and the mayor get this done. We can't sit on the sidelines. Now, now is not the time to do that. We need to stay. We need to keep the band together. Hmm. And make sure that we're holding, um, you know, our leaders who we elected accountable. You know, I, I think it's it's fascinating to see, um, you know, what shook out on this in this on these elections because I think a lot of folks realized that what they were looking at to get a pulse on community um, was just not an accurate representation. Um, right. You know, a lot of folks learned that social media is not a good way. If you were looking at social media and all these uh, quote unquote um, aggregate um, uh, responses, even some of the news articles that were that were coming out, you'd have thought there was a whole lot of contention in 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 hand wringing in St. Paul and Georgia. And I were looking at the results when it came in, and at least in the mayor's side, uh, there was no question. Sixty one percent of the vote for that for for the St. Paul's mayor and five thousand more people voted for him than in his last election, which was right. actually contested with the with the with a candidate that folks thought you know w- would actually you know uh, give some competition, um, and that mayor has uh, been implementing a, uh, a, p- a response around you know the sending non police responders and things like that, and so maybe <laughs> you know as as you talk about we're not that far apart. No, we're not. Um, I, I think I think that's a really excellent point, and and. There does seem to be some space to be able to say, "All right, that's done is done." I, I, I like I like what my grandma often says is when when folks in the family fight and they get done having all the arguments and and pissing everybody off, <laughs> and we get past the main elephant that's been in the room and finally addressed. Mm-hmm. She often will come in and say, "All right, so now what we gonna do?" <laughs> right, and so that's, now that's handled. That's where we're at right now, you know, and, you know, it's been rough the past 18 months or so with the pandemic. And, and you know, now it's time to start to get to work. Melvin has to continue. Sorry, Mayor Carter. Has to continue. <laughs> no, no, no. This is bearing witness. He's Melvin here. He's Melvin here. <laughs> OK, so Melvin's going to have to, you know, get to, you know, continue to work and build on, you know, uh, his reform, working mm-hmm. with, you know, Chief Axtell and, and everybody over there. And and Jacob, you know, who's who squeaked by, okay? <laughs> let's just, I mean, let's just keep it real. Like that could have been a, a bloodbath, but because of 
you know, number, you know, Q2 and Rondo, you know, it, it, it pulled him over the finish line. But that could have been bad. Mm-hmm. So now Jacob, he also won Q1, got mm-hmm. more power, you know, as the as the mayor of Minneapolis. Um City Council, you know, his power is a bit diminished based on the fact that one passed. He's going to have to show us what he's got. No longer Mm -hmm. he can hide behind, oh, the city council won't let me. Well, that's not going to work. So we're going to have to try to figure out, uh, you know, how to get the work done. Going to have to roll up his sleeves and get the work done. And Sharon, uh, speaking of getting work done, you get a lot of work done uh, as the CEO of Ray McKenzie Group. If you guys are not familiar, it is a diversity, equity, and inclusion marketing firm. You work with corporations all across the state of Minnesota on meeting their DEI goals. And we saw a lot of promises and commitments come from these corporations after the murder of George Floyd. Uh, Many of these corporations um, announcing that they were going to commit millions of dollars to help with racial equity and economic justice. Uh, Have you followed up with any of these corporations on all these big promises? And uh, how many of them have actually produced receipts for for those promises? So listen, we had about over 2,000 or so corporations across this nation uh, make those types of pledges. Some were f- for, you know, social justice. Some were to increase racial inclusivity at all levels of the corporate structure. Uh, some was to do more investments into small business. Uh, you know, it was a lot of, of promise and pledge- promises and pledges and so many that it's really hard uh, uh, to keep up. Now, some of those corporations have made many millions of dollars worth of investments, right? And so it's going to take time to see those results. You know, U.S. Bank, for example, you know, committed, you know, millions of dollars to help small businesses, uh, you know, actually micro businesses with loans by giving um financing to CDFIs and it's a program called Access Commitment. You know, so so many corporations are doing a great job in making the investment. The challenge is making sure the information <laughs> is readily mm. available so that we understand how to access it. Okay, so there's no point in doing all of this uh, if community doesn't quite know uh, how to get it done. So that's the phase that we're working on now. Okay, you're making the commitments. Now, how do we know how to access the opportunities that you're talking about? But for the most part, here's the deal. Corporate America has been on a fast food diet for hundreds of years, okay? And there's a price to pay for systemic racism. There's a price to pay. And you can't just decide that, okay, I'm going to start eating salad now. Mm-hmm. You know, and you think you're still not going to have some consequences around that. You're still going to get heart disease. Okay, we're not going to be able to just snap our fingers and just because you made that investment is going to make it okay. We can't we can't do that. We're going to have to really come up with different ways to be more authentic and more transparent in letting the community know how you're making real change. There are 15 reporters, and I don't know if you guys read this article in the Business Insider, but there are 15 reporters that are doing nothing but following corporations to see how they're doing on their commitments. Now, the good news is that there are hundreds of corporations that have agreed to let us track them. 
<laughs> so even though they're doing, they're not doing great, they've agreed to the transparency to allow the reporters and the public to hold them accountable. So that is the problem that we have right now. How the transparency. So we've made the pledges, we've made the promises. How do we look up under the hood and know exactly what you're doing? So that's the work that we're trying to get accomplished now. You know, um, in 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 that arena, one of the things that um I, that we have seen in, 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 in Georgia has brought to the table over and over again is the creativity of this moment. Uh, the amount of people who have been able to create new um, new new businesses, new new ventures, um, new ideas, new nonprofits have also grown in this area and they don't get the attention um, that they deserve in, in many cases. Um, I, I, I have several friends who have taken this moment and part of it's been because of the pandemic. We can't forget that we're still in this other pandemic as well. Um, but I've seen so many folks be able to say, you know what, I'm not going to settle. One of the places of hope that I have seen out of this is, is if this is the society, if these are the outcomes that we see, um, and as tragic as they are, and, and, and we're having to see that anyway, um, then I might as well do the things that are going to fulfill me. I might as well take this opportunity to, to launch out and do some of those, those, those things. As, as, as you talk about the commitments from CEOs, are 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 there um, corporations that are looking at that kind of creative space and and focusing on that as an area of support? Are you seeing a, it line up there the will that's being generated now from the CEOs lining up to those kind of initiatives? Yeah, I think it's it's a great question. You know, there was a study just came out by um, McKinsey, uh, the, the large uh, consulting firm. Uh, in conjunction with uh, Sheryl Sandberg's Lean In. It was a women in the workplace report. Uh, and Black women specifically fared terribly. You know, they're, mm-hmm. you know, last to get promoted, last to be noticed, last to be included. It was a night, it was a nightmarish report. Um, but what was also true is many of those Black women were leaving the workplace to start their own businesses. And Black women are starting those businesses uh, at record rates. And what's also true is the corporations are making commitments, if you will, to make investments in small minority-owned, female-owned businesses, and specifically businesses owned black by Black women. So CEOs have the data. Corporations have the data. They understand that this is the next episode. And that is that for particularly Black Americans, specifically Black women, or, or just have the entrepreneurial spirit and just said, you know what? I really don't need these microaggressions. Okay. Uh, I am going to, I am going to use my, my skills, my education, my experience, my innovation. And I am going to take advantage of a lot of this extra money that's floating around here with regard to access to loans, access to grants, right? To get my dream thing started. And corporations understand that. And so they're beginning to pay attention to that and make those investments. So yes, they are paying attention to the creativity and the engineer ingenuity because you guys have heard about the great resignation, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. People, people are like, you know, I don't think and this, so. I was going to ask right. you about that because the <laughs> other side to all of these amazing black women going out and starting their own businesses is the loss of employees within these corporations. That's and right. so within your work, I know that you do a lot with recruitment and retention. Yep. And so uh, fr- from that 
aspect from that angle how how are corporations faring with uh people just leaving by in droves Yes, it's a great question. You know, we launched uh, my proprietary platform called peopleofcolorcareers.com and and it's designed to help employers and, well, specifically Black professionals and other professionals of color, you know, identify those employers who are serious, right, about helping them land their dream career, get promoted, you know, that sort of thing. And here's here's what uh, is so true. We're in the catbird seat. We're in the catbird seat because, you know, the work, the demographic shift has changed. You know, it's all about us. You know, we're, we're, we're being competed for, you know, it's, and may the highest bidder win. So we're making more money. We're having more opportunity. So what's happening is, is that because the workforce shortage is real, we're in a mm-hmm. position to, de- to, to demand more. So it's supply and demand. That's the beautiful thing about America. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so, and so there was supply and demand. So, you know, a vice president of marketing job that was once, you know, 105, you know, is now 155, you know, mm-hmm. that was what, you know, so lots of opportunity to really close that income and equity gap, gap if you decide you want to stay in, you know, the workforce. You know, again, we have a lot of people that are starting their own um, enterprises. But that's what we see. Competition is fierce. And where it was once, oh, let me post this job and just see how many people apply. Mm-hmm. Now what recruiters and hiring managers are doing is, okay, let me check out my network. Let me see what I need to do. They are contacting the professional, okay? And they're trying to figure out the best language to be able to convince that professional that they should consider having a conversation with them about their open opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> so it really has shifted uh, where recruiters and hiring managers have had to retrain themselves, which is what we do at peopleofcolorcareers.com. We train those recruiters how to make that connection and make the shift, right, from transactional Mm-hmm. to relationship focus in their DEI hiring process. So that's that's what we see. It's pretty competitive out there. And one of the things I love about 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 this moment in this season and I'm in in I'm I'm looking at God like, man, you ha- I now is when I had to get my call um because <laughs> cuz folks are folks are out there and they're looking for you, right? Um and so one of the things that that that's that's that that comes up here is 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 again this need to shift landscape, right? Think we cannot keep doing business as usual. And and at, and at one point, um, <laughs> Elder Mahmoud El Kati was 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 talking to a group of us, and we were we were stressing about how slow some things are moving. He was like, "Look, you know, you do your work, and other folks will do their work, and God will do God's work, and then the market will do its work." And so, you know, we've moved the needle on this a little bit, you know, in that it's no longer cool to do things like you used to do before. It's no longer cool to operate in the way that you did before. And one of those areas is folks just have to come up from off of money uh, for jobs that, you know, businesses are having to, to talk to themselves. It's all across the state of Minnesota and, and say, did was my business being successful because I had a successful business model or was my model dependent on being able to underpay folks for so long? And now I'm having to come to terms with the fact that regardless of how I feel, about whatever's happening, folks aren't willing to take the jobs for this for for these pennies, um, no. and so we're having to 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 make those changes. I'm I'm wondering, you know, what are some if if, if we were gonna 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 stop and say, all right, where are we headed? 
Where are some of the most innovative and exciting places that you see things really starting to work well in the towards equity, towards this arc of justice? Where are you pointing the dial? I'm pointing it at small business. Mm. Uh, you know, so so small minority-owned, female-owned, black women-owned businesses are also in the catbird seat. Mm. If you can make sure that you have a, a an amazing idea and have access to network. We have to go from closed networks to open networks now, y'all. We have to be willing to share good information because we must save ourselves. So the the dial is shifting toward entrepreneurship and entrepreneurship, right? Mm. And so building that small business, making sure that you have the skills, the tools, tips, and advice that it needs to, for you to move into that VP level and that you are not afraid to say that you're ready for that VP, you're ready for that SVP, you're ready for that C-suite. See, we're still in what we learned as Black folks everywhere, closed mouth, don't get fed, okay? Mm-hmm. And so we have to be ready to make that shift and, and be ready to tell our own story and take advantage of these opportunities. We cannot be afraid to go from that closed network to open networks and really learn what it is that we need to do to move our lives forward, to close that income and equity gap. There's so much money out here, okay? <laughs> and when we think about it, I'm just so telling excited. you. you know, <laughs> <laughs> it is so much money. You know, I just think about just even the surplus uh, that 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 the state of Minnesota is going to have like billions of dollars in surplus, right? Trying to figure out is it going to be small business grants? Is it going to be helping with loans? Is it going to be? It's just so much money. So we also have to be ready to do our own homework and research, and make sure that we are uh, taking advantage of those relationships and asking really good and smart questions because this is our season. This is our season. So the needle is definitely swinging toward entrepreneurship, small business, uh, and really um, uh, uh, collaboration, <laughs> right? Making sure you have capacity. Yeah. Uh, and that, that sort and of Sharon, thing. you are uh, an extremely successful Black female business owner. Uh, what what advice mm-hmm. would you offer to other Black women who maybe just started their own business, they're thinking about starting their own business, or even to broaden it some, anybody who's listening that's just started a business or wants to, what advice would you give to them? I think the the, the biggest advice is to go, is, is to just launch and do it, uh, fail fast. Uh, what happens to, to many people who want to start their business is they want to wait, make sure everything is perfect. You know, I got the perfect business plan, the perfect this, the perfect. It's not going to be perfect. Uh, when you feel like you're ready, right, you need to just go for it uh, because you can make the adjustments along the way. Uh, so you need to just start because you're going to fail. You're going to make mistakes. And if you're not making mistakes, you're not taking sufficient risks. So in order to get the mistakes out of the way, you just got to go. The other piece of advice is to make sure you have your own personal board of directors. Understand what you don't know. Who is in your life that's going to help you move this business forward that you can call on, you know, that you can ask questions of, do your research, but don't be paralyzed by not knowing the answer. You need to know the question. If you know the question, you'll be able to find the answer. This that, that 
so so the sufficient risk piece, I think, is really one of those important pieces that dovetails to. And George, I don't know if if you see that connection here too, but we've had um, folks who have been working to on healing for folks in this moment of trauma with with the yes. multiple pandemics that we're experiencing. And one of the one of the things that trauma will bring is an aversion to doing anything risky. You you're actually looking for comfort and stability and in, in, in all those types of things. And so. Um, to have this opportunity in front of us also dovetails with, um, you know, the the dealing of our collective trauma space that can that can sometimes work counter to us in that regard. And so I see this dovetail of, you know, I can point to that. I can say, you know what? I can look at the moments where I was like, I want to do the safe thing here. And, and and I'm not talking about doing unsafe things. I'm talking about, you know, the risk that's required, right? You know, big, high risk, high reward. Um, and, and the risk we're talking about are trying things. I just want to be right. to clear at that. I'm hearing you right. tell us to, to, you've got the idea, you've got the, the questions, you've got the stuff, try. You have to. Yeah. You have to you have to try. And I think, you know, well, for lack of a better example, George is a perfect no, example. Thank you. <laughs> Come on. Thank you. <laughs> she, I mean, she just she just stepped out, she just stepped out there, you mm-hmm. know, and just started doing it. And you know, and had great questions. Not all the answers, it had great questions, you know. You know, uh, I'm part of her personal board of directors. Yeah. I she's part of my personal board of directors. Mm-hmm. You know, we all, you have you we have to save ourselves. You know, we have to, you know, we have to also reach out. Like if you see somebody sort of fumbling, yeah. <laughs> you mm. need to say, oh, ho, 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 ho. You know, you need to put that hand out there instead. Let me. And, and I, I would just further <laughs> echo that and, and express my gratitude because when I first met Sharon, I was the type of woman who didn't ask questions. I'd go in a room, just mm. kind of be quiet, listen, observe, take notes. And then if there was anything I didn't know, I would do my own research independently a lot of times because I was the youngest person in the room. And then also because I didn't want people to think I didn't know. I didn't want people to think I was no. dumb or yeah. inexperienced, right? Right. But um, it rocked my world and it, it forever changed my trajectory being around Sharon, uh, working for her actually for a period of time. And I learned so much about business. And I realized Sharon was the exact polar opposite. She would get into rooms and she would ask all of these questions. And I'm like, oh my God, why is she asking all these questions? But now I know you don't know what you don't know. And you you would be surprised how far you can get by just simple, simply sitting down and, and asking the questions. Uh, if, if the person in front of you doesn't have the answers, getting on the phone, hopping in your email, uh, just reaching out until you find the answer or asking people, do you know someone in your network who does know? And um, that, it, I think for me, that was life-changing because all of a sudden, Suddenly, what I didn't know, I I all of a sudden could have access to this information just by simply asking the question until I found the answer. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it is it's such a simple um, skill. It's such a simple skill. But also as a journalist, I would say, you know, I kind of have a career of asking questions. So it uh, it felt a little bit of like a transferable skill that I wasn't really utilizing in a way that was producing wealth. Right. I was utilizing my ability to ask great questions and interviews to produce information for the public. But now I've actually transferred that skill set as a business owner to be able to utilize my ability to ask good questions. Now that's actually producing wealth for me and my family. Right. That's exactly right. 
And you can never go wrong asking questions. And so, and I do understand why, you know, we pull back on asking questions, you know, because of just the perception, you know, as Black women and, you know, how we, you know, how we, um, you know, are often characterized. And I, and I get that, but we're going to have to get over it. Hmm. You got the sauce. You are the boss with the sauce and you must ask the questions. I, I, I don't, I, you know. It's my best advice. Be willing to ask questions. And, and, and that is actually part of our real lived culture. Who would have thought that our collectivist, communal, wisdom-based cultural space would be the thing that saves us in this, in this, in this new, in new endeavor? I'm being facetious about that. We've, we've known that. And it's been women in our community now who have tried to remind us of that throughout history. Um, I we we I want to take this moment as we as we you know get towards the, the the end of our show as we you know part of our 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 task here in bearing witness is in addition to just kind of covering and putting taking a pulse of, of what's happening in the community in terms of the news that's happening but also to check in with community members about how they're doing and so we always like to close our show checking in um, with each of our guests about how you are being you in this moment. Right. And so I, I know there's a whole lot of, 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 of amazing wealth and I could, I could, I could, we could pump you full of the questions that we need selfishly ourselves because we got you. But um, the question that we have for you is how are you being you in this moment? Man, you know, uh, let me just say when George Floyd was murdered, I, I went into retreat you know, full fetal position. I, I didn't, I was paralyzed. I, I just, just could, I just couldn't, I couldn't, I just couldn't move. And it was my 81-year-old mother who said, uh, I'm going to need you to get up. Mm. <laughs> Your community needs you. Let me just explain to you, little girl, what leadership is. See, if you don't use your gifts to help our community heal and make change, that's a sin. Now, it doesn't mean that you or I, that we shouldn't feel what we're feeling. It's just that there's a difference between leaders and those who will sit on the sidelines. And so I will help you. I'll make sure you eat. (laughs) I will make sure you don't have to clean but I'm going to need you to do what you do. And we will do the self-care. We'll make sure that's happening. But that's why you're a leader. That's why you don't, you don't have the luxury, same luxuries of everybody. So the way I do me is to do what I know that I need to do to help move the needle forward in the community. I try to do it within a certain finite period of time. And I have people around me that will help me be sure that I'm taking care of myself like my daughter, my man, and my mother. But I understand my calling. I'm real clear about my journey. I'm real clear about why I'm getting up in the morning to have an impact. I understand that, that my life can't be the same as everybody else's because that I have a gift And I have to use it so that we can move the needle forward. See, we must 
save ourselves. And I recognize that. So being me is helping you Mm. and our people. And asking others around me to make sure that I'm taking care of myself. Asking them, granting them permission to help me take care of myself. Because I won't stop. Mm. Yeah. Well, you can pass the collection plate right oh, now. That's a word for you. <laughs> that just you. made me think uh, of uh, <laughs> I am because you are. Mm, yes, Ubuntu. Yes, 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 Ubuntu, yes. So that's, 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 that's what it is. We have to, we don't need everybody to make real change because everybody won't get in the game. We just need a few somebodies. Mm. That's me, that's you. Anthony, that's Georgia. We don't need everybody. And so, you know, we just got to recognize our calling and execute. I learned that one from Prince. <laughs> just, <laughs> just, just, just execute. Just execute. <laughs> I love it. Miss Georgia, how are you being you this week and in this moment? Well, I mean, everybody knows that I stay out here telling stories nonstop. And I always get the question about, you know, the self-care and how... Do- oh, I always <laughs> worry about you, Georgia. Everybody always asks, how do you do it with the kids? And so, you know what, Anthony, yes. this week I am being me by tapping into my motherly duties and just doing doing hair. I'm, the whole weekend, I'm Araya's hair... Aliani's hair, Akari's hair. I'm just sitting down and I'm doing hair the entire weekend. Uh, my sister, thank God for aunties, you know, T.T. Ray has stepped in <laughs> and she's uh, been on this schedule every other weekend. She'll take a different kid and braid their hair. And, you know, th- those styles last much longer. So we've been coasting, uh, but it's just time for Mama Bear to step in and, you know, bust out the comb and the hair grease and... So yeah, we're we're gonna be watching Disney movies this weekend and doing hair. That's how I'm being me in this moment. I I just I hope that folks listening to this understand the true ministry that is behind those moments of hair. Um, the the ministry that happens in there. It's not just an aesthetic practice um, for how somebody's looked. That is not, there is so much more that is passed in terms of the wisdom and the words, but also just the ministry of putting hands to head. Um, you know, the we many of us are from faith traditions that have some kind of anointing with oil. And I think it's it's it, it behooves us to go beyond the limitations of that happening only in um, ceremonial worship inside of a building. But folks, Black women have been anointing our heads with oil since the dawns were young. What did, what did, what did Langston Hughes say? I've bathed in the Euphrates when the dawns were young. So I just, I want to make sure to point it out, that out and underscore that when Georgia tells that, she's talking about a spiritual practice that goes <laughs> years the, back with our You make people. it sound so philosophical and spiritual, right? but in my mind, I know how this weekend is going to uh, go. It's going to be, it's going to be lots of screaming. It's going to be, right. sit down, be quiet, hush. Quiet. <laughs> so it, it's it's not it's it's, it's you know maybe it's a, it's a type of spirituality that's not as serene as some people would uh, imagine. I'll just say that Ooh. Uh, my kids, Ooh, my kids days. are like the the little girl on the color purple. Remember she yeah. she just kept screaming yes. when she was getting her hair done. That's my children, all three of them. They're tender headed. Yes. yes. <laughs>
Yes. And 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 maybe that's that's oh. my answer then to how I'm being me is to sit back and to look at all of the even the hard stuff because nobody says it's going to be easy. Uh, <laughs> but even in the hard moments when 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 things are at their most conflict, um, seeing how we do and how we overcome and how we get through, um, there are acts uh, throughout all of the things that we do that we may not recognize. Um, because they can be hard. They can be all the things that you just described, chasing around the house. Um, and y'all know my aunties. My aunties are all hair care folks. <laughs> and so, um, mm. but um, I think for me, how I'm being me in this particular moment is is is, is um, looking at the choir. Um, you know, there's these moments where we don't have to speak to each other and we recognize the need of the different parts that need to be, that need to play. I'll never forget um, being, I was a uh, Chris Crutchfield, who was a mentor of mine. Um, he's a, an attorney out of St. Paul. He, um, after Kamal Kambui passed away, took over the Underground Railroad program that teaches about the Underground Railroad and those nighttime simulations that are, are just amazing and powerful. And some of everybody's been through them as kind of a rite of passage. Um, but I'll never forget, we, he took us fishing. He taught a bunch of us how to fish. And he continues to take us fishing and help us to keep that love going um, and to provide for self. And I'll never remember, I'll never forget us being on a lake in a pontoon and the pontoon goes out and we drift into this dock in this house that we don't even know. And without talking to each other, we realize that we are in a place where we don't know and folks don't know us. And this could be a situation where things don't go really well. And without talking to each other, um, as we reached out for help from from this white gentleman who who was on his ATV rolling up by us, um, we knew instinctually not only how to engage that person, but to get and articulate what our need was, and to to keep everybody you know safe. And um, we did it without even talking to each other, like a choir who who fills in a part when they know that harmony is not quite sounding like it is. Or in a moment where we know what needs to happen in a group, I'll never forget being on a bus with students in the civil rights research experience, and they had just met Joanne Bland there in the Emin Pettis Bridge, and they needed something. And they needed a moment, and instinctually, without even talking, this quiet bus all of a sudden breaks out into song in perfect harmony. And these kids didn't know that each other could sing. Um, there are so many moments where um, I'm observing folks break out into these wonderful harmonies and I'm just watching and observing them. So I'm right now in this moment, I'm just kind of watching. And it doesn't necessarily mean that the harmonies all go well and sound pretty and perfect, right? Some of it's complete discord. But at the end of it, I'm watching things come out um, that are just beautifully human. Um, and so I'm sitting back and just noticing those things. And it's, and it's, and it's, and it's put me into a philosophical place. So that's why, <laughs> that's where my head is at in the moment. And that's how I'm, I'm currently being me. Um, I want to thank you so much for joining us um, and for letting us check in with you um, and for having some, just some exchange. You, you put some fat on our heads to borrow from our auntie Lisa Jones. Um, and so uh, I want to thank you for being able to join us. We always end um, with uh, our, 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 our healing quote. So I'm going to kick it over to you to take us out. In the words of Dr. Joy Lewis, may the revolution be healing. This is Bearing Witness. Bearing Witness with Anthony and Georgia is a production of Racial Reckoning, the Arc of Justice, a journalism project created and supported by Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities. In partnership with KMLJ Radio, the Minnesota Humanities Center, with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Mm-hmm.